As machines are getting smarter with voice and natural speech recognition getting more sophisticated every day, is it just a matter of time before the machines replace humans in the creative industry? Do you think this idea is too far-fetched? Well, consider the stunning demo that was presented on stage at I.O. 2018. CEO Sundar Pichai played back a phone call recording that he said was placed by Google Assistant to a hair salon. The voice sounded so incredibly natural that the person on the other end had no idea they were talking to a digital assistant. The assistant even used natural space filters, saying things like, hmm, and hmm. So happening out here? Hi, I'm calling to book a women's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. Wow. How will machine learning impact creatives? I don't know, but I know who to ask. Coming up on this episode of The Future, I talked to Jamie Myrold, VP of Design at Adobe. She oversees over 300 designers, UX folks, prototypers, and content strategists. It's a good place as any to start this conversation where I can ask, can AI deliver on the promise of accelerating our creativity? Will machine learning keep up with us at the speed of our creativity or destroy countless jobs and cause massive job displacement on a scale we've never seen? Here's Jamie. I'm Jamie Myrold, and I uh, basically head up the um, global experience design team at Adobe, which means um, the designers on my team design all of the software that Adobe puts out in the world, whether that's Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, um, any of the mobile apps that we have, um, our whole you know suite of products that um, are what we call the experience cloud. My team um, designs all of those things. And so it's about 300 globally. And it's a mix of um, designers, which would be experienced designers or product designers, um, prototypers, and we have user researchers, uh, content strategists, and then we have a team of design um, operations folks like program managers and um, people that um, sort of manage our external and internal engagements because we also do a lot more than just design the software um, as it relates to sort of um, design thought leadership within you know our creative communities wow um yeah i got a a little early preview at adobe max last year in las vegas uh Mm -hmm. adobe i think you guys call it adobe sneaks or something like that 
Yeah. And then you started to preview uh, Adobe Sensei. And for people who don't know what that is, you definitely should look that up right now because there's plenty of video content on some of the wonderful features. And a lot of people in the creative community, maybe they have a right to be scared, but they're a little scared that their jobs are going to be replaced. And there's already kind of this fight at the bottom, this race at the bottom, if you will. And people are a little mm -hmm. concerned about this whole machine learning and AI. I'm turned on by it because I was thinking, yeah. this is the digital assistant that I can't afford that I don't have. And in lieu of that, I'm doing all the grunt work. And Adobe Sensei seems to be doing the things that human beings don't need to be doing, these repetitive tasks or tagging images or interpreting a sketch and helping you to do the heavy lifting and then allowing you to be more creative. Uh, can you expand yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, my team is all designers and we're thinking about ways in which, you know, we would love for technology to help us be more efficient and more um, able to use our energy and our um, creative, you know, mind space towards the next great thing and not, you know, using the lasso tool to, you know, select every last piece of hair like that. We have technology that can help us do that. And that um, really the, the the technology and the tools can help with taking those repetitive tasks away so that we can really focus on and enhance and expand on our craft. And that's what really excites us about um, the technology. But um, we're also feeling super responsible with, you know, the way in which we approach how we introduce it into our experiences. And then also, um, what are, you know, are there going to be new, new tools and new, new ways that designers are going to be working, given that the technology can sort of support them in, in these different ways. And so there's no, there are no shortage of very interesting problems for designers to, um, focus on going forward that, um, that anything that Adobe Sensei or you know auto tagging or auto selecting or any of these things is gonna is gonna diminish their jobs at all. Our jobs are only getting more and more important as um, as the technology um, gets smarter and smarter. So there's all all sorts of great and interesting things. Mm -hmm. um, one interesting story I'll share. I was at a, a customer. Um, site a few weeks ago and there uh, I was talking to one of the design leaders and uh, he was sharing with me about a designer on his team who had no, traditionally been you know identified or identified herself as a visual designer but had been doing a lot of um, design work for uh, financial institutions where a lot of the underlying technology was AI and ML based, artificial intelligence and machine learning based. And so through just um, needing to understand how to design for those technologies, like her skill set expanded exponentially because it went from just what's the visual interaction of the application she was working on to really understanding all of the different nuances that um, as this application was, you know, learning from whatever the training data was, how that was going to affect the way in which she was designing. So um, as software gets smarter, it 
this opens up all sorts of really interesting design problems um, and also really interesting, you know, challenges as well for designers. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm hearing here is that there's going to be this group of young designers who are starting out who may be doing a little bit more of this grunt work that we're talking about and maybe they feel threatened by the machine and maybe, mm -hmm. maybe they should because if you're busy cutting mats or doing super repetitive tasks, that's really not what you're put on earth to do anyways. You're supposed to be creative. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be solving problems. And so what it's doing, I think the hope of this stuff is that it just makes that task easier. So you can fun you can focus on the higher functions as you were mentioning. Um, Absolutely. Do, mm -hmm. yeah. do you hear from other design communities that people are apprehensive of AI and machine learning? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard that people are apprehensive or, and I think it's, I think it's, I mean, and I guess you would have to dig into what, what the apprehension is, is I, I haven't heard a lot of people say, I feel like my job is going to go away. I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of designers say to me, please, you know, take away the repetitive task right. so that I, you know, don't have to spend all my time doing that. Um, but I think there is, you know, potentially a little bit of fear of the unknown. Like, what does it mean? And how is it going to change the way in which I'm used to, to doing things? But I find that, you know, most designers are, you know, they're curious by nature and they, they want to, they want to learn. And I think um, the demands on designers time these days doesn't always give them the opportunity to take the, the time to learn about what, how these new technologies might help them um, in their design process and then also um, in the things that they they do. So, you know, I, I, I tend to see the apprehension just be more around so much so fast and how am I going to find the time to, to sort of change my workflow when they're so rooted in the, in the way that they're used to doing things like, changing tools, changing the way we do things. Is, it's really hard for designers because we have to work so fast um, that we want to kind of just stick with what we know and um, within, you know, the, the way in which we work. So it's an interesting paradox, I think. Um, lots of excitement, but also lots of like, how the heck is, how are we going to do all this stuff? <laughs> right. I guess there's an example in the real world that I was searching for one. I think I've found one where designers are afraid of these kinds of things happening, where I think there was a website that you, you punch in a couple of variables and it makes a logo for you. Not a very good mm -hmm. one, mind you, but I think they're afraid that clients mm -hmm. are going to go that route and spend $0 and just punch in some variables and then it spits out a logo for you. And I guess with the, all the science fiction stuff that's out there, the rise of the machines, if you will, somehow displacing yeah. real people solving a problem. Uh, do you have anything you can add to that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that the tech, I mean, I guess the technology could get that good where it's going to make good design decisions. Um, I think with all of this stuff, the human aspect is critical and is going to be extraordinarily important, you know, especially when you're talking about rise of the machine and machines taking over. Mm -hmm. If we, um, and I think designers have, are going to have a critical, critical role there because um, we do bring that more empathetic and human um, voice to what we're doing. And I think that um, 
a machine is never going to be able to um, make the types of decisions from a you know uh, a deep sort of craft perspective that that the de- that designers can or, or or creative people can, and that um, and that that's all that's going to be that's going to be that way for a, a long time. So mm-hmm. even if we find more ways to you know suggest color palettes or suggest font pairing or you know learn from um sort of your creative style and help you expand from that creative style by you know maybe offering some other suggestions i think that all all it's going to do is continue to to um catapult our ability to be even even more creative um forward Mm-hmm. I see. That's my take. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think so. I I see it the same way as you. I just yeah. I, I wanted to be able to give voice to this thought because sometimes uh, something that happens in your head winds up being a part of this echo chamber where fear and and the not knowing part just got, just get magnifies to, to kind of unrealistic yeah. level. So it's just good to talk about this in the open and address it. Absolutely, I completely agree. Are you a practicing or aspiring graphic designer? Are you willing to put in the time to improve your drawing skills and gain a deeper understanding of lettering? And are you wanting to learn how to really pay attention, really learn to see, and really understand the connection between the body and lettering? Well, the future has a course you're going to love. With the Advanced Lettering class, you'll receive access to over two and a half hours of content from legendary professor and designer Niels Lindstrom. Niels is a master graphic designer with expertise in hand lettering, decorative type, and custom font design. He has deep experience in identity systems, branding, logo type design, and packaging. He's a letter form instructor of 30 years at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. Over the course of this nine module course, you'll explore topics such as the history and evolution of typography, manipulating type correctly, including elements of weight, slant, and character width, creating formal scripts, and more. And with the iOS mobile app, you can take this course anywhere. So if you want to better your lettering, visit thefuture.com today to learn more about the course. That's thefuture, F-U-T-U-R.com. And thanks for listening. Okay, so if we can switch gears here for a second. I see sure. Adobe, and, and I'm, I'm admittedly biased because I'm Adobe fanboy here as the market leader. I mean, I can't see my life and my career uh, as a creative professional without Adobe and of course, Apple. But um, what does Adobe need to do to continue the culture and the spirit of innovation in how you guys do things? What kinds of things you're looking out into the future so that you're always in that dominant position as leader? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, right now the the industry is continuing to push us forward. Right. I mean, as there's new technologies, there's obviously um, new ways in which new new tooling. You know, we just um, brought Say Spring on for voice design. Obviously, that's designed beyond a screen. Um, but also, I think we we need to continue to just really have a beat on what creatives are going to need and um, continue to sort of learn from our deep heritage in creative tooling and bring forth what is um, 
the best essence of that as we continue to push forward with, you know, what these new modern experiences need to be. So we have a, you know, we have a wealth of, of knowledge around creative software, obviously. And um, we want to, you know, understand from the community, which is why we're, you know, we're doing a lot of design out in the open and taking in, you know, sort of real-time feedback from our users and really relying on their needs. And then also, you know, as we're designing the tools that we're using um, to design with, we're also, you know, really hammering in on what do we need to do? What do we need to be efficient? And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's an honor to be a team of designers that get to um, both, you know, design the tools and use the tools that we design. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a responsibility that you feel like it's heavy on your shoulders? I do. Um, and I think that, you know, again, we are only as good as, um, as, as our, you know, collaborations and our, and our ability to understand, you know, where creativity is going and, um, you know, sort sort of staying at the pulse of that. And I feel like, you know, as designers in this large creative company and, you know, very, there's a lot of technology at our company. We have a deep responsibility to ensure that, that, um, you know, like the technology doesn't go wild and that the experiences that we're putting out in the world are ones that are really supporting um, and understanding the needs of modern designers. So yeah, I take it as a deep responsibility. Mm. Do you have a thing where you're looking at designers and how they work as part of your R&D? Like, do you have an internal like test kitchen of designers where they, they use stuff and you get to watch and observe and kind of see what their needs are? Is that how you guys think of products and product development? Well, so, I mean, we have the designers that are designing the products, using the products to, you know, the team that designs XD, they all use XD to design XD. Um, and so they're, you know, watching each other. And we have a user research team and they go out into the world and, you know, we have customers and uh that we go to regularly and talk to them and, you know, watch them. And yeah, so we're, we are really close to the customers that use our products. Um, and they are at the forefront of, you know, a lot of the decisions we make, a lot of the design decisions, a lot of the business decisions that we make, because it's, I mean, ultimately they're the ones that are <laughs> going to use the software, mm-hmm. um, you know, you mentioned earlier that you give a lot of talks. I'm just curious, uh, mm-hmm. as a person who who endeavors to do similar things in terms of teaching and and helping others, what topics do you speak about that seem to resonate the most with the creative community? So, um, for me, it's uh, talking about um, you know design design leadership, um, sort of how you know my path, how I I got here, especially given that I'm you know, a, a, a woman leader that has been a, you know, a large dialogue within the past several years. And so I speak a lot um, on that front. I speak on diversity and inclusion and the importance of, 
that in our industry, not only from um, like a team makeup perspective, but also from a diverse set of voices that we're we're bringing from our creative community. You know, a lot of us live in San Francisco or New York um, or Chicago or these large urban areas, but it's super important to understand all of, you know, across all of our nation and also across the world. So I have a global design team. So really understanding design from more than just a North American perspective and that there are people that are quite different across the globe that are using our software. And so that's another, you know, really important topic to me. Um, I also have, you know, the last couple of talks I've given have been around just the changing nature of our roles as designers and that, um, you know, what we've just been talking a lot about, the new technologies, how how that's going to enhance and, and change our roles. And then just, you know, over the last several years, um, design just being much more integrated into, you know, business with design thinking and um, just the deep partnership that engineering is starting to feel that with, with design and, um, you know, we used to have to be much more um, in the driver's seat of inserting ourselves into places. And now we're, you know, invited to all of the tables. And so it's almost like um, you, you got what you wish for. So now you got to, now you got to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I would love to dive a little deeper into that. So I just want to clarify sure. for everybody's listening, because I, I think you're using terms I understand. I just want to make sure. So if I say something wrong, please correct me. So designers have for many years and still do want to be a part of the bigger thing and not just at the end of a lot of decisions being made, a seat at the table, if you will, with the decision makers so that we can help to shape and influence and provide necessary ideas and feedback into whatever is being made. And now you're saying you don't have to beat down that path because that, that door is opening up for you because engineers, business owners, marketing people are starting to realize this and so they're inviting creative people into that conversation. Now that you're at the table, you have to have a different set of skills. So the first challenge was to get into that room. The second challenge, and maybe I got the order wrong, is do you have something to contribute? So here, here I am, a young person. Maybe I'm in school or about to graduate from school. What is it that I need to be prepared for so that when I'm in that room, in that moment, I can contribute in a meaningful way and not make a total jackass out of myself? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. I think one, you know, having an understanding of, you know, technology and engineering and having, you know, some sense of um, how an engineering mind works. Also, you know, just business acumen, like understanding um, what the different parts of a bit, how, how business sort of works. Not that you need to go and get an MBA or anything, but that, um, that you have an understanding can sort of speak that language. And then the other thing is um, having really no fear and having a very strong, not a, like strong, overly strong, but having a point of view on um, what is what is going on and what is being discussed and not having, um, not being afraid to express it. So if, you know, you're, you've been invited to the table you're at that table because the 
other people around the table want your voice to be heard in the conversation. So it's, you know, having the point of view and not being afraid to express it. Well, now you're speaking, uh, it is like music to my ears when you say something. things like <laughs> designers need to understand the needs of businesses and have business acumen. So I, I know they've heard this from me before. And you, you've also mentioned design thinking. Can you break that into smaller bite-sized pieces uh, for some young person or the parents of some young person? They're like, okay, uh, Johnny needs to know more about business. What do they need to look up or how do they investigate this further so that they have something to say? Yeah, I mean, well, there's lots of, there's lots of <laughs> yeah, how much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say, in, you know, when you come in, okay, so what am I going to say? I think that there are a number of design, you know, higher education design programs that are starting to introduce um, the concept of, of business, business concepts into to some of their programs. Um, a lot of design programs also have um, where they'll bring cross-functional, like they'll do projects either out in the world or with a cross-functional set of people that are in the school across different departments. So we're, we're seeing that happen. I think the main thing is just to, um, for young designers to have the awareness that being able to sit in a room with someone who's going to be talking from a very, you know, maybe deep, technical perspective and someone that's speaking from, you know, a, a, a deeper business perspective, being able to really understand what they're saying and um, how that might affect an experience. Because when I started in my career, it was like the technologists did the technical thing. Like they created the architecture, they did all the coding, the business people defined the business, and then the designers designed things, and then we smashed it all together. It's not that way anymore. It's a blend of all all of these things. It's what does the technology need to do? How does what does the business need to do? What does the design need to do? How do they all form and support one another? So I think um, it's it's a it's a blend. I mean, we're seeing business schools introduce you know design thinking um, curriculum into um, into their coursework. So it's not just, um, you know, numbers and spreadsheets and all of these things. It's really, how are we solving problems and designers solve problems. So it's really, you know, all of these disciplines are starting to use, and I'm doing air quotes, a design process to, to solve problems. <laughs> I saw um, your air quotes, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's what I say. Be curious about all of the different parts and pieces that make up creating an experience, whether that experience appears on a screen or it's the way in which someone walks through an airport. Um, it's all of the different, you know, facets that that make those experiences great. Mm -hmm. I guess uh, we've been saying this a little bit on our channel, how designers speak that is the language of design and mm -hmm. what we need to do is to speak the language of business and become bilingual but it sounds like we need to be multilingual here to kind of understand and work with cross-functional teams so that you can contribute in a much more meaningful way yeah and i think you know always be human as well i think that's the other thing that designers 
you know, really bring to the table is even if you don't understand the technical piece, even if you don't understand the business piece all the way, if you have a gut feel of what's being said in the room is just not going to meet any user's need. That's where you, that's where, you know, your point of view and really challenging these other aspects is super important. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. So uh, I I wasn't sure if those were also in air quotes, always be human, but that's, that's a good (laughs) phrase. I like it. I I want to ask you on a very human level then uh, maybe you can help us. Maybe there was a point in time when it wasn't so clear to you where you weren't such a badass doing what you do. Uh, Did you have some challenges either in your integration into this company or mid midway through like, uh, when when positions were open that it didn't seem like it was going to go your way or a- anything in terms of your own personal challenge? I think my biggest personal challenge is um, that I just don't ever stop. <laughs> um, I haven't had a lot of huge um that I would perceive as, as hurdles in my career Mm -hmm. because anytime I got to a point where, um, things felt like maybe they were stagnating or I was getting frustrated with something not moving fast enough or not going the way that I should be. I mean, I would just like take a big step back and, um, take a deep breath and then just really sort of, um, reflect on, okay, what can I do to either change this or maybe I just need to step aside and do something else. But I have this, uh, I don't know if it's a problem. I'm doing air quotes again, problem of (laughs) (laughs) wanting to go in and, and fix things. So like, I love working with the most difficult personalities in the room. Like I love going and making friends with them and figuring out how do we get the process to work better? How do we, um, how do we make this work? And so it, in, you know, creating software and creating experiences, like it's messy. It, there's no like sunny day path when, when you do it, like when we launch things and we talk about them and they're beautiful and they're awesome and every feature is great. I mean, that that is like, there's a lot that goes into getting to that point. And it's not just writing the code or putting the business plan together or making the most beautiful design. It's all of the human pieces of building relationships and coalescing as a team and um, really coming um, together to do something um, with one another. And so the, and I love, you know, people, messy people stuff. And I love organizational design and I'm very operationally, um, bent as well as, you know, design bent. And so I like going in and fixing things. And so, um, I think that's why I've stayed at Adobe for so long because there are so many, you know, teams, um, and each team is sort of unique in the way in which it coalesces and works. And because we're always sort of pushing the innovation envelope these days, um, there's always beyond just the, the design problems, there's all of these really ooey gooey fun sort of operational organizational (laughs) problems to solve. (laughs) And I, I kind of just geek out on that stuff. So, um, you are I don't you're know, twisted. You do realize that. <laughs> I know. You know. I know. I know. <laughs> I have friends that run creative companies, and I'm like Chris, how do I deal with the creative people? I'm like, I don't know, man. It's like herding cats. It really is. And you're like, hey, come here, kitty. Come here. 
<laughs> I don't work with you. I, I don't know if you realize this, but you you may have inadvertently planted a seed that it it is truly the rise of the machines. Because when I ask you what were your challenges, you're like, I don't stop. It's like I could hear like Arnold Schwarzenegger saying that, you know, it's like I'm this tomato. <laughs> I know it's horrible. I and, and it's I mean like I never I never say no to anything. I, I like this spring I did I think I've done like five speaking engagements and when I started off the year in January I sat down and you know did my my January reflection of what I was going to do this year and I said I'm not doing any speaking engagements. <laughs> so much for that and, plan. So much for that plan. So I don't plan. Mm. I just kind of go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because you're an indestructible cyborg from the future, 2049. That's exactly yeah. right. Don't don't fear. Don't fear the future. Well, since you are from the future, uh, I, I would like for you to <laughs> do a little forecasting for us, if you will. Let's mm. let's say like five years into the future, since you know the roadmap without revealing the roadmap of where things are going. What do designers today need to prepare for? Anything that you haven't already spoken about? Is there anything that you can help us with? Um, I think, well, I mean, it's just, it's probably going to underline things I've already talked about, but um, I think really, uh, especially for UX, you know, sort of product software designers, um, designing beyond the screen. And then also, um, really taking on the responsibility of, you know, a lot of things that we've been talking about on my staff lately is around just ethics and design being more inclusive. Um, I think that our, our roles as designers is going to, it's really going to go beyond the screen. And I think, you know, not having fear and being able to think, you know, beyond what we know is happening today. And then um, also, I think, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to air quote again, like design, <laughs> we're almost going to have to become some kind of like creative activists because of what, with the increasing technology, we're really going to have to be at the forefront of responsibility in what we're putting out into the world. And, you know, we've already seen a lot of damage happen from from technology that wasn't taking that into consideration. So um, I think just being prepared for a much more sort of worldview on what we're doing and it's beyond the app and it's going to, um, you know, be, be beyond the, the website or the brand that we're creating it's you know we're really gonna have to understand like how much do we want our entire world to become you know augmented with something that's not a physical human um and so i think it's just thinking about the efficacy of 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 where things could go if we're not um really putting that human perspective on it Mm, i love that i love the the juxtaposition that you're talking about in terms of being a creative actist, always be human coming from a person who runs or is part of like a leading software company. So, Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about, this is a huge topic for us Mm. right now. Um, especially as we're looking, you know, at more machine learning and what we were talking about earlier, just around, you know, our creative jobs going to go away. 
And then also, you know, as we learn with machine learning, you're, you're learning from what people are doing. And so it's, you know, where's the line of, um, you know, learning from usage patterns and data, um, how, you know, how transparent are we? How, um, how much do we, you know, there's just so many questions around, you know, privacy and security and, and all of these things that um, we are very sensitive to on my team as designers, designing software for, you know, creative people and ourselves. And that, you know, the software that we, we create, people are using to then also, you know, create brands or, or create more products. And so we feel a deep responsibility for our software to um, show up as ethical and show up as transparent and show up as a good example for how um, others should be approaching this type of work. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm super passionate about it. If you cannot tell, I can. So okay, here's a <laughs> here's a crazy science fiction question, um, just from uh, the fan inside of me, which is: Are we yeah. getting close to that point in which the software learns about us and tailors itself to the individual user based on what it sees? For example, if I'm using particular tools quite often and some other ones not so much, that it starts to reorganize the palette in is a reflection of how I like to work automatically. Yeah, I mean, that's a total possibility. <laughs> You're saying that like, <laughs> yes, and you can fly one day too, Chris. I mean, are we talking about like uh, three years from now or like, um, you yeah, know, maybe before you die, it might happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't, you don't know. know. I mean, it, it's definitely something we've, we've, we've uh, talked about and, you know, <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Okay. You said never say no, right? Never say no. Never say no. Right. The goal is to not be creepy. Like, we got to figure out the creep factor. (laughs) Okay. A lot of hashtags coming out of this episode. Don't be creepy. Okay. I won't. I try not to be. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Is there anything else that we can look forward to? Uh, A public speaking appearance that you're not supposed to be at or something like that? <laughs> my next speaking engagement is going to be at Cannes Lions Ooh. in the south of France, which I'm super excited about. Wow. Um, yeah. What are you going to be and speaking the next about? One is... So I am going to be having a conversation with a few others about basically what you and I have been talking about, oh, okay. about artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. how the world of design is changing. Um, yeah, I see. So this was good. This was good practice. <laughs> this is a primer for your real talk. <laughs> I see. I'm just like a step stool here for Ken Lyon. You know, like, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to thank you very much for jumping on and, and persevering through the uh, whatever the technical challenges were. I think hopefully everything is working and this is going to turn out great. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. I am Jamie, and you're listening to The Future. The Future is hosted by me, Chris Doe. Our show is edited by Samuel Burns with an assist from Stuart Schuster. 
Big thanks to Adam Sanborn for composing our theme song. To subscribe to the Future Podcast, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. While you're there, do us a solid and leave us a review. Your comments will help guide future programming, and hey, it'll help us with our rankings. Can't get enough content? You're in luck. We have over 500 episodes on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash thefutureishere. Make sure you don't miss out on upcoming events, workshops, live broadcasts, and webinars by signing up for our newsletter. Go to our site, future.com, and click on the email sign-up button. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Future Is Here. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode. This was fun. And look at that. We we even finished a few minutes earlier. It's like four minutes left. Huh? You know, I got it. I, I did it. Yay. Okay. You did so, it. Do yes. Yours. Can we do this? Uh, we have all our guests uh, say their name and you'll see something like, um, I am Jamie and you are listening to the future. And if you can just say that twice, maybe say it slightly differently each time. I am Jamie and you're listening to the future. I am Jamie and you're listening to the future. <laughs> That's not exactly the same. You're a cyborg. Oh my God. That was exactly the same. I was like, um, it's going to be different the second. No, no. Okay. I made it different. No, you didn't. (laughs) You tell yourself that. You know what? You need to go and run that test where they make sure you're uh, not a synthetic. A real person. Yeah. Make sure you're a real person. Uh, Do the Blade Runner test.